they call it unconscious competence. <laughs> they say when you start out, you're unconsciously uncompetent, then you're consciously uncompetent, then you're consciously competent, then you're unconsciously competent. Hello, welcome to This Is My Cinema. On the podcast, we invite you to have a stroll down to the cinema and take a seat next to some of our finest British filmmaking talent. I'm Rihanna Dillon. And I'm Michael Leader. And so far, we've spoken with the likes of Kate Dickey, Lucifer's Tom Ellis, Morvith Clark, Harris Dickinson, and loads more, all talking about their favourite cinemas, their favourite films, and the biggest question of them all, their favourite cinema snacks. So, Rihanna, what is the best cinema snack experience you've ever had? I think it was when I was about 11 or 12 and I went four times to see Ocean's Eleven and I was so in love with George Clooney. I just had to see that film multiple, multiple times on as many big screens as possible because I think George Clooney really is the ultimate cinema snack, don't you? I mean, that's an unorthodox choice for ultimate cinema (laughs) snack, Brianna, but you are the co-host, so what you say goes. Yes. Oh God, I was so in love with him back then. I really was. And it was one of those weird things where it's like a weird crush that had been passed down from my mum as well. Like she also loved him. Mm-hmm. But I think they were also suave in that. I loved Brad Pitt's continual eating. You know when you see someone eating and you just have to have a little nibble yourself. So I, I think I, I worked my way through mountiest amounts of popcorn during those screenings. It's almost like a Twitter thread, isn't it? The, the ensemble of Ocean's Eleven as snacks. <laughs> but yes, we have more cinema snack-related chat coming up with today's guest. She's one of our great actresses. You may have seen her on the big screen in the likes of Daphne, Little Joe, the Coen brothers Hail Caesar, and most recently on the big screen in Cruella. I think she is fabulous. Every time she pops up, I get very, very excited. It always feels like a mark of a good film or TV show. Most recently, she was in The Pursuit of Love only last month on the BBC, playing Fanny Logan. So I think a fan favourite. She can do anything and everything. I've seen her do incredibly modern roles but also really nice to see her do period drama as well so we got to talk to Emily Beecham. Emily Beecham thank you so much for joining us today so for the duration of this conversation the dream situation this is your cinema Mm -hmm. and we love to kick off these chats with a big question so you've been given a cinema for an evening and you can play any film and we'd like to know what film you'd like to show us and if there's a cinema you have in mind so let's kick off with the film you'd like to show us that is the easiest question but also the hardest question it's almost like asking me what my favorite color is or my favorite (laughs) it changes every time and every time I see a new inspiring film usually an indie I just love independent film and I'm like oh my god this one's changed my life so there's one that always I go back to quite a bit, but it, it was I watched it at a particular time in my life when I was a teenager, and it was the first kind of realism film I'd ever watched, and it was a Michael Winterbottom film. It's Wonderland, and started my lifelong love for Gina McKee, who I just adore. It's about a young woman's life in London, and it's about the city, and it's about her, and I just sort of fell in love with her really. And also, I thought I was watching a documentary until I realised it wasn't. And that's the first time I think I've properly seen acting like that and feeling like a fly on the wall and watching somebody's private life and 
how impactful that was and how much I loved that. So I do, I have sentimental feelings towards that film. Mm. But also I think La Haine could be quite oh, cool. That would be incredible. Quite, quite, a fun cho- <laughs> quite a fun, lively choice. Yeah. Yeah. Just to kind of really keep people on their toes and. Yeah, but two big city movies there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I love the kind of feral qualities in films too. It's like this sort of naturalness to... That makes me think of Daphne, actually. Oh, yes, what city? Is, again, yeah. about we're going to explore the city yeah. through one protagonist's experience of it. And it felt, yes. I mean, around when that film came out, I had lived in Elephants and Castle near oh, where really? it was mostly shot. So yeah. I felt like it could have been a documentary from, uh, from where I was sitting. It's a lovely film to rewatch now, actually, Daphne, because mm-hmm. it just reminds us of all those years where we were allowed to do all of those things and be so close. There's a point where you're just sitting at a table, I think, in a restaurant, in your like the restaurant that your character works in, and I was like, "Oh, that they're gonna have to clean that yeah. after she's got up, though." So, and just like everything <laughs> now feels infected with that, but it was just like a real treat to just see you wandering around really busy markets and going on nights out and. Getting into arguments with people was great. Daphne's kind of so acerbic and kind of sick of people. And uh, yeah, she <laughs> Daphne, if you only knew. <laughs> she in lockdown. <laughs> Appreciate it, Daphne. <laughs> yeah. So back to Wonderland, yeah. such a London film, as you said. Are we watching this film in London? Yes. Well, I, um, in the Curzon Soho, before they did their fancy refurb, they used to have these big wrinkly sofas. And people just used to slump on them. It felt like a bit of a hub and you could go there and go, hmm, what shall I watch? I really loved that kind of vibe. But the close-up cinema, which I thought was a huge discovery, but actually apparently you guys might already <laughs> know about this, um, which is a tiny little cinema, teeny, in Shoreditch. And I went to see opening night, the Cassavetes film there with wonderful Gina Rowlands. And I saw that there. It's small and it's got a library and a cafe. And it's just a really cool little unique cinema, which I hope is up and running again. Mm. I love the idea of seeing a film and then stepping outside of the cinema and then almost being on the set of the location of the film you've just watched. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's a perfect pick. Yeah. Makes you see things in a different point of view. Mm-hmm. So if Wonderland was the film that opened you up to the realism side of the spectrum, mm-hmm. what had you been watching before then? Hmm. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I had um think about this great nostalgia. Goodness. Well, growing up, well, I watched possibly some kind of random films for a kid to watch, but uh, Blues Brothers and Amazing. Naked Guns, Dark Crystal. I loved those fantasy adventure things. Wayne's World, which I can still quote <laughs> all of it, really. It's funny, really. I can't remember lines from a scene that I've done the previous week, but I can remember everything that Garth says. Who did you see Wayne's World with? Because those cinema experiences are so shaped by who we watch them with, right? You know what? I never went to watch in the cinema. It might have been uh, too old for me. I might not have been allowed to, but uh, <laughs> I watched them at home on repeat. And the Jim, that Jim Henson, Dark Crystal, I still love puppeteering to this day. I just find it, although CGI is getting really good now. But I find it much more interesting to watch the, the puppeteering. Mm. And quite frightening. As Very well, frightening. Uh, the Babadook <laughs> was really amazing. I think mm. that was that stop motion. Or, it was incredible. Yeah, they, they did some trickery, didn't they? So good. Yes, that was terrifying. I actually, mm. I am lying because I never actually looked at the Babadook because I had my head in my jumper. <laughs> and I'm not usually that frightened, but it really, 
really uh, affected me that. It was very good. So who formed that early taste in your life? Because sometimes we're reliant on parents, the telly, or family members taking us to the mm. cinema. When you were a kid, who was showing you what was available out there? Probably my parents, really. My mum mm. loved Some Like It Hot. We watched that a lot. And the Blues Brothers and things like that is, yeah, definitely their influence. Because otherwise, I don't know how else I would have really seen them. My local cinema was in Stockport. They showed many commercial films. I'd never been to any art house cinema, really, until I was much older. I think when I came to London, really. Mm -hmm. That's a good first reference to Stockport on the show so far. Yeah. I'm recording right now from Manchester. Are you? Oh, great. Literally close to home. Oh, really? Oh, cool. (laughs) So far, I've been the only one dropping references to Manchester (laughs) cinemas. Yeah, yay. Well, you got it now. So you grew up in Manchester then, or Greater Manchester, sort of? Cheshire, yeah, Cheshire, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, was was it when you moved down to London to study that the world of possibilities opened to you? Yes, yeah. I went to see lots more theatre and independent film and the art house cinemas, and which I love. I mean, it always reminds me why I'm doing this, and it fills you with inspiration again. Whose performances did you especially love back then that you thought actually, yeah, I could do this. I want to do this. I want to emulate oh my that. Goodness. Who's did I love? Was there like someone that you saw or a films that you saw that triggered you wanting to go to RADA and study? There are lots of performances, really. There's not a specific person, but I personally think that some children are some of the best actors. They are so unconscious. And as I said before, like feral, I love that quality or watching children on screen. Andrea Arnold is so good at capturing that. And again, Lynn Ramsey and... I've never really wanted to be someone or to have someone's career. I mean, I completely admire Samantha Morton. I mean, she's just completely amazing. I loved Morven Keller. It's very dark, but it's also really sensory. And she also captures that really well. It's not contrived. It's just this sort of natural quality that you can't put your finger on in it. It's really interesting. That's really intriguing because how do you square that if that's what you admire in the performances you see? Mm. How do you square that with actually going to a drama school like Lambda Mm. and receiving training Mm -hmm. to then balance the feral nature that you're pinpointing here in untrained performances and then trained performances? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, there are amazing performances in theatre as well. At the time, it was preliminary theatre training. Um, Now they've Mm. adapted So I was pretty much learning on the job. Their technique is Stanislavski-based, and it's all based in realism and what you want and how that naturally comes from that. And then so you have the shape of it and the muscularity, if you want to say, you know, like that kind of thing. And then you let it all go, which I loved in performances. And I had to kind of really look at filming as a completely different thing. It's like cross-country, whereas a theatre is like a big sprint. It's like I'm just two hours of full focus and energy, but whereas filming is different. It is about finding those qualities, unique qualities in the characters and how their experiences and their given circumstance, as they call it, how that shapes your decisions as your character and hopefully makes a character more complex and interesting. And they call it unconscious competence. <laughs> they say when you start out, you're unconsciously unconfident, then you're consciously unconfident, then you're consciously confident, then you're unconsciously confident. <laughs> That's what you want. You want to not control it and just, I guess, enjoy it and let yourself go. Mm-hmm. 
dare yourself and be brave. Because <laughs> <laughs> that makes me think almost of Little Joe, which is almost the, the absolute flip side of the films because, you know, yes. just how the style is so formal. So different, And yes. the performances mm-hmm. are so precise mm-hmm. there. Yeah. How did you learn to let go or find the unconscious competence within that? Well, it's very interesting. Well, that character is very controlled and cerebral and also in the style how Jessica wanted it. We did about 20 takes each. And it was all super specifically timed with the beat from when you take the bite of the Chinese, you have to have finished it by this line, the camera pans in on this line, that you have to have swallowed it by the time the camera has hit this certain mark when the extra walks past at this moment, and then say it with this specific intonation. And she wanted things very artificial. For instance, my character talks to her son in a very strained, artificial way. So everything was so specific. It really was choreography. It was a a dance and the challenge was to keep it natural and to remember everything. But that is just a different kind of style. It was really interesting and new experience for me. Mm -hmm. Obviously completely different to Daphne where we did about one or two takes and it was pretty much my freedom and Peter and I would talk, the director and I would talk about it, but she's a very kind of loose (laughs) character in a way. Do you look to try and work with directors who have these very different sensibilities? You know what? It it just happened. There's no way to really know, I guess, Mm. unless you ask people. But I guess you find out when you're there and also talking to them. I found more and more now, which is a privilege to be able to meet somebody and really get to know them before you work with them. And I hadn't always had that. And it's uh, nice to be able to do that. So you can get a gauge and, and see if you understand each other and if you understand the piece and the character and how you click in that way. But no, there's no way to really... I guess you find out when you're there <laughs> and you adapt. <laughs> but that's a part of the job is, is adapting. I was just going to say, we've spoken to Anil Korea uh-huh. talking about Ben Whishaw's performance in Surge, which is Oh, he's so good. I haven't watched him in that, but I, I really want to. It's, yeah, it's an incredible performance. Yes, so physical. Mm. But it, yeah, it's incredibly physical. So mm. you just said that, you know, you learn from the actors that you're around. Mm. So working opposite Ben Whishaw, mm. who is kind of like sweetheart of the nation. <laughs> Tell us yeah, about he's lovely. <laughs> I loved working with him. He's he's so jolly and lovely and <laughs> reads his books. And then he just starts and he just accesses this. Uh, the character who's playing in Little Joe was a little bit creepy and a little bit manipulative. I think he's just very playful. I mean, I can't delve into his brain, but um, he's playful and enjoys what he does. Some other actors are more controlling or go into thought neurosis or that kind of journey or following the train of thought in a way. I, I guess everybody seems different, really, whatever floats your boat. And also whichever character you're playing, different qualities serve different things. Yeah. The, the way you talked about Little Joe and yeah. that controlledness and mm-hmm. the preciseness mm-hmm. of every take made me think of puppetry and the dark dark crystal even oh really i wonder now when you watch films and you know how the sausage is made yeah even thinking about something like cruella where i don't think it's a spoiler to talk about how your character is at the center of a quite a spectacular scene early on with potentially cgi dalmatians or whatever they were Mm -hmm. can you still sit in the cinema and watch these things and take them as you did when you were a a kid wowed by wayne and garth or the dark crystal the blues brothers yeah i still love watching films to be honest if i watch my own and I just see the mechanics of it. So it probably takes me a few years to forget about all that before I could probably watch it objectively. But no, I still love to get lost in a film. My friend often points out technical things. I'm like, shush, stop it. <laughs> like, how could you be thinking that when you're watching that? 
because that would totally spoil the, the magic of it. And it is a journey. And you just have to, really. Because when I make something, I'm always surprised if it moves someone or if somebody has seen something that I never saw watching that. It's just interesting. I think always you're always going to get something out of it. And, and it'd, be, it'd be a shame yeah. to ruin that experience for yourself. I know. <laughs> Just looking back to some of your very early film roles, mm. 28 Weeks Later is oh, yeah. one of the earliest. So, I mean, that's such a visceral film. What are your memories of filming that? That was pretty much the first time I'd been on set. And I was like, what is going on? I had <laughs> that no, must have been insane. no idea. I had no training, which seems kind of crazy now. I didn't know what the sound thing was for. I didn't know what this was for. I didn't know anything. And also that it was a really small role that came in and out and it was extremely technical and it was covered in blood and I couldn't see pretty much most of the time because halfway through I had contacts in. But it was kind of in and out job that. You know, you must have had an experience on that that made you think, okay, I want to continue doing this. It didn't put you off acting for life. So, you know, how do you sort of tread that line? Well, I, I loved it anyway. I knew I loved acting. I'd done like a three-year training in it and I enjoyed it I got a lot out of it and then I was doing also lots of other jobs as well at the time I'd say it took a few years to slowly figure out and also get into an area where I wanted to be I think when we were training at school you know we were doing uh, like Chekhov and kind of amazing roles that there was so much to them and that was the focus. And it took a very long time, as I think it just does in the business, too. I mean, you're, you're very privileged or lucky to be able to get to a point where you can play those meaty roles that you really can put your input into. And it's been quite a journey for me in that regard. And for everyone, really. Just to bring this back to cinema experiences, Rihanna, by evoking the spectre of 28 Weeks Later. So I was too young to see 28 Days Later in the cinema, <laughs> but I did see 28 Weeks mm. Later. And I can very clearly remember several moments from that film that shocked and horrified me. <laughs> and seeing it in the cinema at the impressionable age I was really terrified me. <laughs> Emily, you mentioned The Babadook, but I just wondered yes. what comes to mind when we talk about visceral cinema experiences, the films you were so glad you saw in the cinema. Oh, I was just going to say The Shining, but I never saw The Shining in the cinema. You really have mm -hmm. to give that one just focus. I feel like it's sort of almost quite a meditative film. Like you properly have to let it affect you. Mm -hmm. You really have to commit to it. And then once you do, it's like, oh my God. I loved watching Roma in the cinemas. I thought that, again, was really enhanced by being in the cinema and really built to that moment where she gives birth. That was a really great film to watch in the cinema. Because again, I think the shots and the way the whole thing moves, it's, you really commit to being in that world and it sort of builds in quite a sensory way. And I love this whole theme of film being really sensory mm. and it sort of appeals to your senses on loads of levels, which I think some directors do so well. Lynn Ramsey and like Lynn Ramsey started off with her short films mm. so small death anyway and I love how she shoots the hands and the feet and just everything really I think film's so wonderful because it's so many mediums all put into one and with all the choice of the framing and the choice of these sort of things how that really evokes you as a viewer it's not just the actors who are making you feel all these things it's obviously everything together People often say that sometimes the audience kind of breathes with the character and the cinematographer has to feel that kind of thing. And it's just such a, like a collaborative effort to kind of 
<laughs> manipulative sounds a bit sinister, but <laughs> to, to manipulate, <laughs> manipulate it is, a viewer. It's very or, manipulative. Yeah, yeah or <laughs> evoke, evoke a viewer into having this experience. I'm looking forward to cinemas opening again. I think that would be pretty super. One cinema experience of yours that I was quite interested in hearing about is with Little Joe. Yeah. Little Joe came the whole sort of can experience, right? Mm-hmm. So how was that? You know, were you there for the premiere? And tell me about that whole thing. That must have been epic. Yes, it was great seeing it at the premiere, actually, because that, again, is a very visual film. Yeah. Uh, Jessica Hausner comes from a family of artists. Her sister, Zenia Hausner, is an amazing artist and her father Rudolf Hausner is a very well-known Austrian painter and he's quite surrealism it's a bit like Dali except he's called psychological something oh there's a word for it whereas Dali is a surrealist so he comes mm-hmm. from psychology and does it that way anyway so right. it was cool seeing on the big screen because it's so kind of the acid colors and the sound and it was an interesting experience and it was the right audience for that kind of film because mm-hmm. it's extremely art house <laughs> I mean it's like so <laughs> out there but yeah it was great it was yeah it was intense it's a big old festival I really had no idea what to expect so I was in for quite a shock <laughs> how, how intense that experience would be and to be around amazing filmmakers I was very debilitated by this dress although I'm very grateful that they lent me the dress for, for the premiere it weighed I cannot tell you Oh my God, insane. You would never believe. Like we could barely even hold it. Two of us had to carry it. Like it was so heavy and so big. Although everyone was like, it's the Cannes premiere. You have to wear something that honors that. These people will lend this, wear it. So I was like, oh Christ. And so I wore it. I'm looking at it now. Oh my God. It's beautiful, but it's so beaded. Oh my, (laughs) it's so heavy. My face was red because of the weight and I kid you not, and my full muscles were flexed. It was like holding weights. And going up those stairs, I was like, I can't get up the stairs. Help me. So, you know, I had to get help getting up the stairs. And I mean, you do look incredible, though. But It was an amazing dress. It did break, actually. The strap broke <laughs> oh, no. as we were leaving because it was so heavy. So too I, heavy for itself. I was really juggling quite a lot, you know, <laughs> trying not to flash everybody naked. So there was a lot. I was juggling quite a few things. But um, the French. They love, they love nudity. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I should have just embraced it and let whatever happened, happen. But fortunately, the corset was so tight that it held it onto my hips. <laughs> Love these insights, Rokan. I, I mean, you never know, really. Yeah, no, it was interesting. It was nice being with the young actor who plays Joe, the young boy. Mm-hmm. He's oh, like yeah. this 13 going on like... 45 he's just so experienced <laughs> and that was up. it was his second red carpet he was like, oh yeah i've just been on the red carpet rocket man hey <laughs> oh he's just so chilled out so experienced with can <laughs> so when you were saying about you love seeing performances of children on screen when you're working with these children and when we're kind of watching them we think they're so incredibly talented how how can you remain that pure and still be in the world of acting which as we know is mm. on another level so performing opposite a child it's quite useful because they see everything like I find children they just see everything if you are false ever in real life as well mm-hmm. they sense it you have to be there and you have to be authentic so you have to really talk to them you have to really say those lines to them and they don't pretend they're really honest <laughs> kids do they give you notes after a scene <laughs> no but you can 
you can tell they just respond off you immediately. Like if you say a line differently or anyway, it affects them and they listen, which is quite funny. I mean, I mean, although I just had a director saying children never listen. <laughs> but actually, when you are looking at them in the eyes and you are doing those scenes, they read so much from mm-hmm. you instinctually. Yeah. I love the little girl in Cruella. She was so brilliant. She again she was just is so fun. Fabulous. She's so fabulous. She has a real cheeky little minxy wink, which she do quite yeah. a lot. She just do this little sassy wink. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's really fun. I liked working with her a lot. Really cute. The opening scene of Cruella was just was so exciting. In my notes, I remember just writing Emily Beecham and capital letters with lots of exclamation <laughs> marks because it was just so cool to see you. We used to seeing yeah. you in a lot of Indian art house films and seeing you pop up in a Disney was really unexpected, a real pleasure. Tell me about yeah. like the differences, apart from the salary, obviously, but between between being on a Disney budget versus an indie one, what does that mean for you every day filming? You know what? Every experience is different. And I just think that you can't ever predict what anything's going to be like. I loved working on it. I loved working Craig Gillespie, who directed I, Tonya and Lars and the Real Girl. He directed Cruella. And he was really perfect. He gave it this sort of edge. And he sort of also encouraged improvisation or we change the lines, here we go, we're going to change it this morning, we're going to try this. And he liked it, you know, real and funny. Mm. And so it had a really nice quality to it. I loved it, really. You can't really think about all that pressure, because that's just too much. Because you just got to be yourself and go and enjoy it, whatever you do. So try not to sort of see them differently or go, oh my God, that's like, 50 executives who are (laughs) judging whether they want you or not, you know, just I block it out. Because it's actually my job to ignore it. So try to ignore that. Just to backtrack slightly, please tell us what you loved about Rocks. Ah. Because it almost seems to me with Wonderland landed at a time where it was very rare to see an authentic London on screen. Maybe we saw the Richard Curtis version of London on screen Uh more often than not. Mm -hmm. Whereas now with films like Daphne and Rocks, TV series like I May Destroy You, we're seeing more of London. But what did you love about Rocks? Well, firstly, the actors, the young actors, just so brilliant. And just, I think, the quality of friendship that they all had in that tough environment. And they were just so natural. I just loved the energy of it. I mean, it was a tough environment, but they had this sort of really vibrant energy, which I think Andrea Arnold brings a lot to her characters. She's really good at that. I met her once, actually, for a workshop improvisation thing, and she just does have this... She encourages this really brilliant energy where she gives you secrets and then puts you both in the room together and like mixing two things that might combust together and, and see how it what happens. And it brings a really cool energy to it. I just thought it had like a really good energy. It made me feel all good. <laughs> like, <laughs> like warm the cockles of your heart. Yeah. About love and friendship. And oh, I just thought it was brilliant. I just love the girls in it. They're all so excellent. And again, System Crusher, that young girl, I don't know how she did that. I mean, that was a really fierce performance, like a girl who was really on the edge. And that was just like such a great reckless performance. It was, it was so good. Kids are like capable of doing, you're like, how do you know how to do that? That's unreal. Have you ever been tempted to get behind the camera? Is that something that you want to do? Yes, all the time I would love to. But I mean, who knows if I ever will? I mean, there's so many topics. I just love watching them as well but I do love actors and working with actors and watching actors and Mm. I love all those details and maybe because working with someone like Emily Mortimer on Pursuit of Love who is very much like an actor's director right so how was that she's 
so cool. <laughs> She's so and also cool. just very open. And so it must have been that must have been a real pleasure to work oh, with. Oh, it's her. perfect. She's the most honest person. And she's totally authentic. She's just as lovely and as honest and open as, as she comes across. She was perfect for those characters and encouraging us all to kind of talk about all our experiences and all the qualities that we wanted because it was about female friendship and growing up and making decisions in life and where are you going and what's your identity and all these sort of things. So there was so much to always talk with her about. And she's got so much understanding because she started acting when she was really young. And she feels that it's a very vulnerable experience. And she's like, oh, you're so brave. And she's always like giving you this energy. And she was great for morale and that's it. Everybody loved working with her. And she does come from the actor's mind. So she got great understanding for all the departments, I think. But just talking to her before and just we talked a lot about the character and she just really brings it alive. And that made it pleasurable to do because, you know, some directors are very technical and be like, mm. I need loads of tears here. Cry in this moment. And uh, this, <laughs> no, okay. But I do think the best performances come out of things that totally make sense in a unique way or come from an authenticity like Emily encourages, yeah. which fortunately most directors do. <laughs> what is your relationship with period drama anyway? Was that something that you grew up watching? Mm-hmm. Was it something that actually didn't really come into your consciousness that much? Oh gosh, like a mixture. Like the Jane Campion piano. I mean, that's just an amazing film. I still remember the moment where she drops into the mud and her dress plumes out. It's full of air, but she's so kind of distraught as she sort of drops into this mud. It's really evocative film. But um, yeah, loads. I'm Emily Mortimer in Bright Young Things. Love that film. <laughs> so good. Michael Sheen is so funny in that. But we were really keen to keep this energy and... I don't know if you've seen, there's this old documentary footage of war and it's being coloured. Guy who did Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson. Oh, did he do that? Right, yes, and he coloured it. It's so good, but just having the colour in it. And you also see the way people move and their humour and it feels almost so modern. And I think we were keen not to make it feel like it was some distanced, pretty drama and that Mm. they were real people who were funny and like us in just different circumstances being the time difference and social, sexual dynamics and all that political, all that stuff. Yeah, so we really were keen to keep that, especially because the girls came from childhood and, again, I'm going to use the word feral again. <laughs> they were kind of <laughs> left left to their own devices. Yes. and They were quite feral, actually. That's a very good description of them. Yeah, and their natural interest in sex and what's that going to be like and who are you going to marry and who do you lust after and what am I going to be like as an adult? That's exciting. And the mischief. Is Shazad Latif as hunky in real life as he is on screen? (laughs) (laughs) I have such a crush on him. (laughs) Yes, Shaz is gorgeous. Yeah, he's lovely. (laughs) He's so nice. Unfortunately, our characters stay married. So if it goes into Love in a Cold Climate and Don't Tell Alfred, which is the third book. Don't Tell Alfred, yeah. So there we go. Shaz is going to be here on the whole journey. So... um, Yeah, he is. Is that quite exciting when you can lock into a character if you think, oh, I'd love to take this character further and stay with her into her old age? Yeah, it's lovely because it sort of settles and you kind of start going, okay, I can see where this is and you sort of branch out a bit and 
pull different things out. I think that is the great thing about something that goes on for series because before all the ratings or the reviews, which I try not to read, all the audience reaction or people reaction, before all that comes out, we're all like, is this a pile of shit? Who knows? It could, you know, is it going to affect people? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. You know, I think it's nice to know that your love for the character and the story is shared and that it's working because that's the objective I guess is to make someone who is real and who stirs or moves people or who Mm. people relate to and who people care for which is like you have to care for this person (laughs) I do I love Fanny (laughs) I love Fanny too Emily to wrap up then let's remind ourselves what we're seeing and where so this was Michael Winterbottom's Wonderland yes or Lahane but yeah (laughs) I'm gonna commit to Wonderland okay and uh, which cinema did we land on? Was it Curzon Soho or Close Up? Let's say Close Up. Let's just say Close mm-hmm. Up. Yeah. Okay. So Wonderland, maybe double bill with Lehane if people are up for a second yeah, film yeah, afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> a Close Up cinema. And a real I'm contrast. There. So the big, most important question is what are we eating and drinking, if anything? Do you like a cinema snack? Oh, well. I try not to indulge too much because. You know, don't want to be rustling throughout the film. Probably just salty and sweet popcorn. Although there's sort of cool cinema in Berkhamsted called Rex Cinema, and it's like a 1930s deco star, and they serve cheese platters. <gasps> what? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. They also have like tables with red cloths and. It's, yeah. Oh my god, that sounds amazing! I mean, instead of like those nachos and yeah, no, hot no, dogs, no, no, you no. get a cheese platter. <laughs> Come on, oh, no, no, it's dreamy. <laughs> and do we take a drink in, Emily? Not alcohol. I just can't drink whilst watching a film. I don't know. It just affects my experience. Water. Water. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's not very interesting. Keep hydrated. It's a good message. Yeah. It's a classic. <laughs> yeah, hydration. Yeah. So that is Wonderland plus Lahane, close-up cinema, yep. cheese platter, yeah. or sweet and salty popcorn. Cheese platter and Maybe. water. And thank water. Thank you very much. That sounds like a fantastic <laughs> night out. Emily Beecham, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you so thank much. You. It was fun, guys. There she was, just as fantastic to speak to as I really hoped she would be. And so many little gems came out of that, like her love of untrained actors Mm. to work opposite and also to watch was really nice to hear because often I think kids on film can get a bit of a a negative rap for being a bit too precocious so I loved how she really delved into all the positives of that. Mm -hmm. So fascinating to talk with somebody who's clearly like trained to be an actor but they then have to unlearn their training to capture the essence that they see in the films and stars they love. Also great to hear someone just shout out Wayne's World. <laughs> You're a Wayne's World fan, Michael. Well, I don't want to spoil maybe an upcoming intro for one of these episodes, but Wayne's World, I saw that twice when I was probably only four or five. I was way too young. Bought the soundtrack, an incredibly impactful <laughs> film in my young life. Yeah. Four or five? <laughs> Is that true? Absolutely true. My, my dad took me to see it and then not long after, my aunt and uncle took me as well. I, I, I have no idea why, why did they, they think that was appropriate for a four-year-old? I find that mind-blowing, but also excellent. This is where your eccentric taste in film comes from. Very kindly put, Rihanna. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, can another huge experience for Emily. Loved hearing about her dress. And I know that you were at that same um, premiere, right? Michael, so what was your red? carpet look 
for Little Joe? It weighed a lot less. Let's <laughs> say that Cannes is a sweltering festival to go to. So they do have some arcane rules about if you're going through certain entrances, you're not allowed to wear trainers or some critics just throw all decorum out the window and turn up in shorts and t-shirts. And uh, <gasps> yeah, well, I'm more on Surely that end not. of the spectrum than the full tux. Um, just because you've got to stay cool. That's, it's perfectly understandable. But it was amazing seeing Little Joe there because that is a film which has such a specific point of view, mm -hmm. specific style. And can, you know, of course, there are many people there who have very great taste and open minds about films. But with a film like that, which is a real surprise and a real curveball, it's always fun to see how the mood of the screening room goes through. That's the sort of things that I don't think Little Joe did, but films could get booze, they could get 15 minute long standing ovations. So that was a real highlight of the year for me of, of seeing a film so eccentric as you put it Rihanna. <laughs> so Emily Beecham a huge hit if this is your first time listening make sure you subscribe to the show and check back in our feed for any episodes you might have missed we'll be keeping the doors of our cinema open and next week we'll have another guest coming through to tell us all about their ultimate film experiences we'll see you then bye This is My Cinema is a Little Dot Studios production for Biffa. The show is hosted by Rihanna Dillon and Michael Leader. It's produced by Jake Cunningham, Ellie Aitken and Harold McShiel. And we're edited by Content is Queen. Mm -hmm.